Good afternoon. It's uh, Friday the 17th of February 2023, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Cold News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, no Vanessa this week. She is in Aleppo on the ground uh, in the earthquake zone and there's no internet there at all. So uh, we'll see her next week again. Now, we'll get straight on here with the Munich Security Conference, uh, Patrick, because, well, here we go. They've produced a Nice little video all about it. Putin's even uh, in the video, as you can see. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, Putin is not invited. And in fact, no Russians are invited at all. They're not allowed to attend. Uh, but guess who's opening it? I uh, don't know. Who could it possibly be? Well, it is uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Now, of course, the theme of this is revision. Um, this is re colon vision. This is what they're uh, the theme for this year. Uh, US President, Vice President, sorry, uh, a bit of a Freudian slip there, Kamala Harris will be there. Uh, she's going to be there. She's going to be uh, talking all about Ukraine and how we're going to help Ukraine and all these kinds of things. Uh, you can kind of see the... Uh, it's the, a big the step up for Kamala. I mean, she doesn't usually get involved in anything besides school buses and school lunches and things like that. Well, she's going to meet with uh, Macron and Schultz. Uh, and also Rishi Sunak, so that's good for her. That's about right. That's about her weight class, I think. Yes, <laughs> uh, and she'll have a joint uh, meeting with the prime ministers of Finland and Sweden uh, as well. As I say, Russia banned from attending. Uh, but uh, the best event is it uh, w was this morning, actually before the, the sort of main opening of the thing. They were at, called it the opening town hall. Uh, it's all about recalibrating the compass. Everything's got a colon in it, uh, Patrick. Recalibrating the compass, colon, south-north cooperation. And of course, what's this about? It's because the global south seems to be more aligned with uh, Russia and China than they are with uh, the West, as it were. Charles uh, Michel, be involved in that. Bill Gates be involved in that conversation, not quite sure. I noticed they had vaccines in the promo video. Yes, yes. Focusing on injecting people with... Uh... Uh, experimental uh, products. Uh, indeed. Indeed. So anyway, we'll keep you posted on that. That uh, begins today, or it has begun already today, and uh, uh, it'll be taking place. Uh, there'll be stuff going on all through the weekend and so on. Um, okay, let's uh, move on then to Ben Wallace, uh, because on Wednesday we were talking about space, and we made the point that uh, Ben Wallace, a couple of years ago, had been talking about embedding dual use in uh, civilian infrastructure and so on, uh, with including data sharing with government departments, uh, security intelligence services, commercial users, users and so on. It doesn't seem, or let's put it this way, Patrick, it seems like this British idea of dual use is spreading throughout the rest of NATO. Yeah, it is, Mike. And uh, just, just on a side, before we get to the next uh, story, um, the whole vaccine rollout uh, was under the aegis of the Department of Defense. Mm. Um, it was dual use. Right. It was military countermeasures. Right. So we've already seen the militarization of the pharmaceutical rollout in a so-called pandemic. Okay. That that whole sphere has been weaponized. Right. That's already happened. We all lived through that, and we're still living through that. That's emergency use authorizations. All of those things that we covered previously. Just, just it's just important for people to make a note and, that. and realize sure. that. Yeah. Uh, but NATO and their space fleet. Well, here it is, um, and we pulled this from RT because it's probably the best written article on the subject. Uh, so, but if you're in the UK, you might not be able to access it. Um, actually, you might be able to. Some of the ISPs are now uh, allowing RT through, which is very interesting. I thought it was banned. Uh, anyway, maybe someone needs to get busy and ban it. 
get the uh, Ministry of Truth on this. Uh, this is absolutely scandalous. We access this in the UK. NATO reveals its new space fleet. So this is what it is. It's it's about it's about uh, uh, weaponizing uh, existing commercial satellites into an array uh, managed by NATO for the purposes of surveillance, but also to use for targeting uh, in conflict zones for reconnaissance and uh, targeting data and surveillance and things like that. So uh, Sweden and Finland are being roped into this. Uh, they're not full NATO members yet. They're applicants. Um, they may never become full NATO members if Turkey and Hungary uh, have their way on this. Um, but uh, not to fear, Samantha Power has been deployed to Hungary recently right. with USAID to promote democracy. So maybe something might be happening there. But I digress, Mike. So this is hugely dangerous, okay? So it's not enough to weaponize trade routes. It's not enough to weaponize energy, which, which the West has done, right. okay? Russia did not weaponize the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, the sanctions and US policy, British and NATO uh, actions did, okay? And then to top it off, we'll get into the Nord Stream pipeline, but we actually, you know, uh, Western countries went and blew it up, okay? So the perfect example of weaponization, supply chains, pharmaceutical rollouts, vaccine deliveries, border closures, um, the militarization of everything, food supplies, everything is militarized. The only thing that's not militarized yet was space. 1967 Outer Space Treaty uh, has very specific guidelines as to what is permissible and what isn't. Right. I think that probably that agreement is going to get canned by the looks of it, Mike. Um, so uh, what, do you, what do you think about this in terms of the Starlink conversation as well? Because that came up during the Ukrainian uh, the conflict over the summer. Well, well, one of the things that, that strikes me about this is, of course, is if we look at, uh, if we go back to the first Iraq war and the allegations that Saddam Hussein was grabbing Westerners, uh, using them as human shields to avoid the West bombing certain Iraqi infrastructure, then we had Syria and we had the rebels, in inverted commas, the terrorists in Syria, uh, accusing Assad of bombing hospitals, civilian hospitals, which were in fact were already militarized. And, and schools. And, and, and schools, schools as well, yeah. right? Uh, and now we're talking about making an official policy to dual use everything. That means that any future conflict that anybody's ever in, uh, a target is going to be civilian infrastructure because it's being militarized, it's being used for military purposes. And so there is no escape from being a target. You, effectively, what Western governments seem to me are attempting to do is to uh, by militarizing civilian infrastructure, um, try to protect that civilian infrastructure because you can't bomb civilian infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that ain't going to work, and it just makes all of us targets. Well, it's not only that. What about social media? What about the Integrity Initiative? What about the 77th Brigade? Have 100%. they not have they not weaponized social media and yeah. in, in the internet? So, I mean, this is the problem with it. Russia's pushing back, however, on this um, and has issued some stern warnings. Uh, here, as you could imagine, and they're calling it the uh, uh, weaponization of quasi-civilian space. So they're invoking the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, saying that this is an abrogation of it, and weaponized quasi-civilian space infrastructure in particular could face retaliation. This is just the worst recipe for absolute chaos. So 
Um, what are we going to have? A whole planet that's completely militarized? NATO wants to extend into the Pacific. They're arming Japan right now, pushing Japan to commit huge amounts of money, $372 billion over the next five years mm. uh, to uh, have an offensive military capability, okay? And that's uh, to, to shun the whole Japanese constitution post-World War II, mm. okay? So extend NATO, AUKUS, to the Pacific, right. weaponized space. We've got Europe, uh, telecommunications and is also militarized now. And your speech could be a threat to national interests mm. or national security if you undermine national security because you expose something as a journalist. That's, that's under the aegis of a military. So this is the weaponization of everything, the militarization of everything. Mm. This is what NATO is uh, the vanguard for right now. Hugely dangerous, hugely dangerous. And who is pushing back on this? Is anybody right now stepping up to push back against this? Hopefully this report is a start. Patrick, now let's uh, move on to Ukraine, or at least British prop propaganda on Ukraine. <clears throat> and of course, we've been talking about defense intelligence over the last number of weeks and how bad their reports are, uh, at least as far as the public is concerned. But uh, uh, they've taken a bit of criticism on this and they've decided that they've had to uh, report back on it. So the Defense Intelligence pushed this uh, graphic out today, uh, labeled probability yardstick, and this is all about the language that they use in their Defense Intelligence reports. Um, so uh, as you can see, uh, if they talk about remote chances, then it's 0% and all the way up to almost certain, uh, up to 100%, uh, and likely probable, realistic probability, unlikely, you can see the kind of percentage of confidence that they have uh, in this. Is this a comedy mem for social media? This or, is a comedy mem. So what? Is it real? It's real. This so, is not a joke. No, it's not a joke. But I thought they were joking. No, but no. what they say is intelligence assessments aim to explain something that has happened. That's what they call insight. Or to predict what might happen next. That's called foresight. Intelligence analysts piece together assessments from an incomplete number of jigsaw pieces. Analysts therefore use a shared vocabulary of likelihood that aids clarity for both analysts and other readers uh, while communicating the probability that an explanation or prediction is correct. Okay, so that should be absolutely clear. Uh, they say that defense intelligence is part of strategic command. It provides intelligence to decision makers in the Ministry of Defense, the armed forces, and across wider government. Well, that's what they claim, but then they push this kind of nonsense out on Twitter for everybody to read on the Ministry of Defense Twitter feed. So that goes well beyond providing intelligence to decision makers in the Ministry of Defense, the armed forces and across wider government, because those decision makers may understand the language that's being used in this. Uh, maybe it has some use within those circles, but once it becomes public, it becomes propaganda as far as I'm concerned. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, look at the first bullet point up there. What are they talking about here? Uh, Russian military, uh, Ministry of Defense, Private military uh, contractors, PMC forces, have likely suffered uh, 175 to 200,000 casualties since the start of the invasion of uh, Ukraine. This would be, uh, they said, including 40 to 60,000 dead. Likely. Uh, likely dead. Okay. They're not giving any uh, indication as to the provenance of that, um, but the Ru Russian casualty rate is significantly higher since September. So what, what I do see here is claims being made. Um, what's interesting, though, where is the uh, reciprocal claims about Ukrainian deaths? 
and casualties. Exactly. Where are those? Because if you're only showing one side, then certainly the provenance would have to be similar sources, perhaps. So then you could compare the source of the data. Um, as it stands, this is just propaganda. And the problem is that they, what that, those figures and that propaganda then ends up in the mainstream media unchallenged, uh, as if it's reality, when in fact it's an intelligence update, which is supposed to be for a rather, rather narrow audience. Do we, do we have this up on screen right Yeah, now? we can bring it back on, uh, back on screen, yeah. Yeah, let's bring this, this slide back up on screen. So th th what we pointed out the first paragraph, um, it gets even more bizarre, Mike. Uh, by modern standards, these figures represent a high ratio of personnel killed to compared to those who are wounded. And again, so they're making a they're making an additional claim on top of the supposition uh, regarding the data. So they're really building a narrative here. Yes. And is this intelligence? Is this data? Or is this something else? It certainly looks like well-crafted uh, propaganda. Show us the receipts, please. That's what I would say as Absolutely. a journalist. But uh, then again, you know, I don't work for the Guardian, so you know, my standards might be a little bit different. Yes. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on uh, on Ukraine and uh, well, Alexei uh, Arestovich. Arestovich, uh, yeah. former uh, advisor to President Zelensky, got sacked because he uh, said too many truths. Uh, uh, on uh, Ukrainian uh, state-controlled media. Uh, but um, this is a video that's resurfaced. I, I think this is, I'm not sure how recent this is, but um, what he says, and obviously there's subtitles at the bottom so you can read the English subtitles, but in, in terms of the security conversation, what he said is very telling. He's basically saying that Russia has its, uh, they have legitimate national security interests mm -hmm. in Ukraine. And uh, that's a big uh, statement from a former advisor to Zelensky. Let's take a look at this. Сказать россиянам, можно, я могу прямо к ним обратиться, дорогие россияне. Первое, у России есть свои интересы геополитические, и я лично их признаю за ней. Второе, у России есть интересы внутри Украины, и я их признаю. Третье. У России есть право защищать свои интересы в мире вооруженным путем, как у любой страны. В том числе и вовне. И я их тоже признаю. Между прочим, я русскоязычное население Украины. Okay. So the important part, Mike, as you probably noticed there at the end, he said they have the right to defend those interests. So he said Russia has the right to defend their interests in Ukraine, uh, whatever they are. It could be Russian oblasts. Uh, it could be Russian national security. It could be the NATO issue. Okay. So that, that's an important admission by Alexei Arestovich who you know, used to be regarded as Zelensky's brain, uh, political brain, no longer he's been sacked. Um, and so wh why is this important? Well, he's, he's articulating essentially a realist position uh, that's the, pretty much the same as what John Mearsheimer and other top international relations scholars in the West, the ones that aren't allowed on Fox or CNN, this is what they've been saying, not just during this conflict, but in the run-up to this. They've been warning about this situation, that NATO expansion eastward is going to uh, provoke and to incite Russia to act. And that's exactly what happened. And there you have former advisor to Zelensky, chief political, one of his top political advisors anyway, um, is saying this exact thing in this interview. So, you know, that's, 
to me, I think that's progress in terms of this conversation. All we need now is uh, uh, more punditry in Britain and the U.S. to start admitting that this is true. Uh, now, over the since the beginning, or since before the beginning of this conflict, uh, Russia has been saying that Ukraine has a Nazi problem, uh, and of course, we've seen many people active on the battlefront wearing Not as of battalion another Nazi regalia uh, over mm -hmm. the time, uh, but. Is it limited to Nazi or is there another influence coming along? Well, it's not just Russia saying they have a Nazi problem. The BBC even did uh, reports on it back in 2014. But yes, Mike, that's true. There's another problem, too. Um, the Ukraine seems to be attractive to all sorts of uh, extremists, not just Nazis, but also jihadis as well. Uh, so let's take a look at this one. This is interesting here. So there's the Ukrainian flag. There's the ISIS flag. Yeah, there are ISIS uh, spotted in Ukraine fighting for Zelensky. Um, and this is weird. So where I ask the question here, is this a case of Ukraini Akbar? Ukraine, great. I'll translate that for you here. Now let's take a look at this video. This is from the cradle. Uh, they released this. this is actually based on Associated Press footage that leaked um, or was broadcast actually, but look at this. <laughs> So what's going on here? Is this because Ukraine is so short of personnel that they are advertising effectively for uh, experienced fighters from other countries? It, I, I think it's because, you know, we can't, no, no one can really argue Ukraine has been a, a cesspool of corruption uh, and we've been pumping cash and weapons and NATO training uh, packages in there for years, especially since 20. 14 and then as the uh, conflict in Syria NATO's proxy war in Syria was failing mm -hmm. and uh, Jihadis were being pushed out of Syria some decided to stay and set up a new Islamic state in Idlib uh, to, Because Raqqa fell and it's still a US and uh, NATO protected effectively Islamic state in Idlib full of terrorists by the way Al-Qaeda affiliates al-Nusra uh, Tahir al-Sham, et cetera, et cetera. But in 2019, so there's pedigree to this story. Take a look at this. So we just look back and do a cursory search. Yeah, in 2019, how Ukraine became the unlikely home for ISIS leaders escaping the caliphate. Ukrainian authorities admitted as much. Um, and they seem to have picked up a couple of ISIS commanders and said they handed them over to the CIA. I can't imagine what the CIA did with them after that. Probably redeployed them, Mike, yes. back into the field. Um, but anyway, that's not the only one here. This is an interesting report. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Why is an ex-Syria war jihadist fighting for Ukraine against Russia? And this is in the J Post. This is just in January, by the way. It's just last month. But this is a really interesting story I, I encourage people to read. It's actually a very good report by Michael Starr on this story. It is a very interesting story. So it is a haven for extremists of all sorts. And all the extremists in Ukraine, Mike, are fighting only on one side, uh, well, at least the ones that we know that we're, we're, we're taught in the West to revile Nazis and ISIS terrorists, right? This is our... Indeed. This is our boogeyman, right, uh, for the last couple of generations. And both of those parties are fighting uh, for the Zelensky regime. Uh, in Ukraine. I thought that's interesting. And they're probably getting funding and weapons uh, courtesy of uh, you and I. Isn't that interesting? 
But of course, they were also fighting on our behalf against uh, Bashar al-Assad as well. Yeah, yeah, the the evil uh, Bashar al-Assad, the the butcher, as they call him. Not really. He's a pussycat uh, compared to these maniacs running around. I'm editorializing there. Um, But yeah, running around Ukraine. I mean, yeah, hardcore Nazis and ISIS. Isn't that interesting? What a combination. What a great effort. Uh, now, of course, the uh, NATO Defense Minister's meeting finished yesterday. And we just wanted to mention a couple of comments by Jens Stoltenberg and get the Russian reaction to them. So uh, he claims that neither NATO nor NATO allies are party to the conflict. He claims that what we do as NATO allies and NATO is to provide support to Ukraine. Actually, since 2014, NATO has implemented the biggest reinforcements of the collective defense in a generation because the war didn't start in February last year, it started in 2014. This was quite an, uh, other people have said this, and there've been some significant people saying this, but for Stoltenberg to say this, this is quite interesting. But uh, I I was interested in the comment that uh, NATO since 2014 has implemented the biggest reinforcements of collective defense in a generation. Where have we seen that? The only country that we've seen that is in Ukraine itself, uh, up to a point. Uh, And of course, Mm. that fits very well with what Merkel and, Holland said about the Minsk agreements being an opportunity to reinforce Ukraine. Uh, But anyway, what was the Russian response to this? Here's Dmitry Peskov. Uh, NATO is an organization that's hostile to us. They're confirming this hostility every day, going out of their way to make their involvement in the conflict around Ukraine a lot clearer. So again, we have the situation that, you know, NATO attempting to say, not us, Gov, but the Russians are not buying it. No, they're not. Um, and uh, P- Peskov is obviously is under a lot of pressure, by the way, in Russia, as are many uh, Russian uh, political leaders. Why? Because they're not moving fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the biggest criticism that the Russian state has right now, uh, according to many reports and uh, things that we're reading on social media, Mike, is that um, they're too soft. Mm. Uh, in their prosecution of uh, uh, liberating the Donbass territories, for instance. So um, that's, uh, and Peskov is on the front line, like any press secretary or any spokesperson. So it's a tough job. Uh, Well, let's move on to Nord Stream. And Seymour Hirsch, of course, published uh, his article on his Substack uh, a few days ago. It really hasn't, or it's been largely ignored by the Western media or as much as they possibly can. But uh, he gave an interview to Democracy Now. Let's just listen to a little bit of what he had to say. Obviously, I have access to a lot of people who see things. I've been doing this, uh, Amy, and um, I've been doing this, what, writing about COVID activities for, am I, am I that old? 300 years. Anyway, the bottom line is um, the stories I've been getting about the war, particularly beginning in full, and that's what gets interesting, have been pretty dire. Uh, the Russians, um, I don't think, I think the end is just a question of time. Right now, it's a question of how many more people Zelensky wants to kill of his own people. It's going to be over. I can't answer your philosophical question about why Congress isn't doing anything anymore. Congress is pretty much polarized just as much. And, um, and there's also um, an enormous uh, continuing of uh, hatred of uh, all things Putin in this country. Um, which is uh, foreign policy disagreements are one thing, but it's very personal here, and that's not useful. But anyway, the other, the other, you know, he is. I don't think there's any chance that Putin wants to take over Europe. I don't think he wants to take. He wants to have Ukraine tamed, but he's not interested in doing anything more. 
So Putin's not interested in taking over Europe. He's not interested in doing any more. Anyway, Hirsch also gave an interview a couple, uh, on the 14th of this month to uh, Berliner Zeitung. Uh, so uh, let's just have a look at it. a couple of things that he said here. Uh, the people in America and Europe who build pipelines know what ha happened. So he's basically saying that you know anybody involved in the industry knows exactly what happened with the Nord Stream. Uh, I'll tell you something important. He said the people who own companies that build pipelines know the story. I didn't get the story from them, but I quickly learned that they know. Uh, he went on to say, it scares me that the president was willing to do something like this. Uh, and the people who carried out this mission believe that the president was aware of what he was doing to the people of Germany, that he was pu punishing them for a war that was not going well. Uh, he said uh, the White House was worried that it might end, it might be on the losing end, that Germany and Western Europe would no longer supply the weapons we wanted and that the German Chancellor might restart the pipeline. That was a very big worry for Washington. And then he was asked, uh, was this uh, attack on the pipeline an act of war against Germany? And he didn't answer that uh, question directly, but what he did say was, talked about the, the CIA. He said the CIA's political advantage is that a president who can't get his plans through Congress can walk with the CIA director in the White House Rose Garden to plan something secret that can hit a lot of people on the other side of the Atlantic or anywhere else in the world. He said that's always been the CIA's unique selling point, which I have my problems with. But even this community is appalled that Biden had decided to expose Europe to the Cold War, uh, to the cold in order to support a war he will not win. That to me is nefarious. And he's that's an understatement. Yes. Uh, and uh, anyway, he said uh, the fear, however, was that the bombs would not work if they stayed underwater for too long, which is exactly the case with two bombs. Uh, so there was concern within the group about finding the right means to, to, f to finish the, the job. And we actually had to turn to other intelligence agencies, which I've deliberately not taught, written about. That's in that article. But he published uh, another blog on his Substack um, on Wednesday. Uh, called The Crap on the Wall, and he's basically saying there he's got more and he's going to be publishing more in the next, in the coming days and weeks. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, the bombshells are going to keep coming, aren't they? Um, but uh, he's absolutely right. What I think he's being a little bit kind. It's easier to be kind when you're all the way on the other side of the Atlantic, Mike, because you don't have to face the full brunt of uh, the economic uh, devastation, all the things that Europeans uh, and people even in the UK have to deal with because of this policy. But <clears throat> the truth is the United States already declared war on Germany. Um, they strong-armed Germany into policies that were against its own national interest. They said that you can't be reliant on Russian gas or fossil fuels and so forth. You know why they built the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to begin with? One of the reasons was because Ukraine was uh, playing around with the gas supplies into right. Europe. Right. So, and that was a result of the 20, 2014 Maidan coup, mm. which was initiated by the United States, its allies, and the European Union. Mm. Um, so they created the problem, and they're trying to manage the fallout. And then Russia and Germany build this uh, massive infrastructure project. The United States makes Germany shut it down. They, they cause sanctions, drive up energy prices, uh, energy shortages for uh, Europe's number one economy, Germany, and the rest of the continent, right. totally screwing with the energy markets. And then to, to add insult to injury, the United States goes in and blows it up. That's, that is declaring war on your, quote, ally. Germany is not the ally of the United States. Mm -hmm. They are under the thumb of the United States. That's very different than being an ally. I judge 
I judge them by their actions on this. The U.S., they can say it's a defensive alliance. We wouldn't do that to our ally. Look at what they've done to Germany. BASF, BASF, that is the linchpin of German industrial right. excellence. They're moving their whole operation to Louisiana, okay? They can't afford, major industries can't afford to keep the lights on in Germany as a result of these policies that were imposed on Europe by the U.S. and with Britain playing the chief whip right on the side anytime there's potential peace talks, Boris or whoever runs over there and screams at Zelensky, no, no, no peace, no peace, and then calls up and strong arms the other NATO members as well. So, I mean, uh, it, it's pretty obvious what's going on. The other thing I want to uh, uh, say, Mike, is people have been slamming Seymour Hersh. Everybody on the left says that he's, a, he's, disrepu he's disreputable as a journalist. He's been discredited. They said he's been discredited for the last 20 years. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how they can make that statement like that. Mm. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, journalist. And why is that? Because Seymour Hersh is bad for business. He's bad for the war business. He was bad for the Vietnam War. He was bad for the Iraq War. He was bad for the fake chemical weapons attacks in Ghouta, in Khan and in Douma. And he's bad for this one, too. He's bad for World War III. So you see the right and the left piling in and attacking Seymour Hersh, okay, because he's, he's telling the truth. They're positing that he made all this up. Okay, the amount of detail in there, and he said something that was very telling. He said that his source described the meeting, Special Advisory Committee on Intelligence, off campus, outside of the White House, right. with members of the CIA, the NSA, uh, the State Department, and various and sundry other high-ranking uh, officials and advisors, and that just, just the knowledge of how those meetings are conducted and for what purpose, in what situation, that alone, and also he had uh, other information about who attended, and not all of this is published, for obvious reasons, right. okay, but the, the level of granular detail there and qualitative detail in terms of the process is undeniably uh, authentic, okay? That's why he is a good journalist, okay? And this might be his last big story that he ever breaks. And so funny, it's so amazing to watch the left, Democrats and Republicans rail against Seymour Hersh and, and in the mainstream media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, all of them, not even mentioning this story. He, right. he commented on that. Yeah. Like, he used to work for the New York Times. Like, it, this is a blatant cover-up, and we'll show you more of the cover-up in a minute. But. Yeah. yeah, okay, well, uh, in the meantime, uh, Russia then uh, starting to get a bit motivated here. Here's Sergei Lavrov. Uh, he's uh, saying that they've contacted the United Nations over the Nord Stream issue, uh, raised the issue there. They're making preparations for a special Security Council meeting. Uh, where they're going to demand some sem semblance uh, for an investigation to be found, uh, basically saying to the UN, what the heck is going on here? You're not doing anything about this. And he goes on to say, Mr. Guterres, uh, who's an experienced diplomat, should not be shy about studying the facts, and let's not call it uh, an investigation. So uh, getting a bit impatient with the fact that, that the United Nations seems to be a little bit partisan. Yeah, uh, impotent is probably a better word, but um, you know, the, the people always said the UN Security Council is is past its sell-by date. People who are pro-war because of China and Russia's ability uh, to, to veto to veto any yeah. crazy uh, Syrian war or anything like this, or sanctions or no-fly zones. No, the, what was the last no-fly zone? Where was that one? Was that uh, 
they wanted to put one up in was it the, it was the Syria, Syria one? Probably. Yeah, and that yeah. that was a non-starter because yeah. of China and Russia. But the the real problem is they're becoming the League of Nations, Mike. Um, but not because of Russia and China. They're becoming the League of Nations because the uh, leadership at the UN is so utterly corrupt and so unwilling to stand up to the United States on anything. Okay, that's why it's becoming the League of Nations. And guess what happens? This is not good for anybody. No. This is a prelude to a much wider war. So the, what, what about the Nord Stream? Who did anyone do an investigation? Well, you remember? Sweden. We'll flashback a couple of months. Look at this. Remember, Sweden went down. They sent their best divers and their little mini subs, um, and they found. Well, they said they found evidence, Mike, but they wouldn't share it. This is October 10th. They wouldn't share the Nord Stream investigation findings with Russia. They wanted to keep it secret. But apparently, not just not sharing it with Russia, Mike. They are not sharing with anybody. Uh, Sweden shuns formal joint investigation of Nord Stream leaks citing, according to them, national security. I'll tell you, Washington has twisted their arm and threatened them and probably blackmailed every single minister potentially involved in this with, or, or the military, okay? So this is, this is early on, somewhat before, just as the uh, Sweden-Finnish NATO membership was kind of coming online. What did Sweden do? They went down there and basically probably collect, destroyed the evidence or, or collected any damning evidence that might implicate the U.S. Navy or, or British uh, forces as well, or whoever else was involved in that, Norwe right. Norwegian frogmen, who knows, okay? But Sweden, has, it, Sweden is actively involved in this cover-up. Something to this size, unquestionably, it should be a multilateral, international, joint investigation. Look at all the effort they put into MH17 with Holland, uh, front-running that, right? The Dutch, you know, the Dutch, the honest Dutch, front-running the MH17 investigation, and that was a total whitewash, okay? You had all these other co countries involved in that, all these mechanisms, you know, they designed this really elaborate investigative framework. What about this? This is the type of thing that could start World War III. Where is crickets, Mike? Yeah. It's total crickets. I guess that means they're innocent, right? No, maybe not. It's so counterintuitive. We're meant to just like forget, you know, basic common sense here. This uh, you've got a cover up, you've got denial, you've got the mainstream media black blackballing the story. The, the, it's it's obvious who the guilty party is here. Who had the means? Who had the uh, motive? And uh, who had the opportunity? And who effectively admitted it? Uh, both Biden and Liz Truss effectively, in their own ways, admitting it. And Victoria Nuland admitted it. Yeah. And Anthony Blinken as well, in in, in a roundabout way, uh, in saying it was a good thing. Um, so, listen, case closed. Yeah. As far as we're concerned. Okay. Now, just waiting for the world to wake up on this. Okay. Uh, now, uh, Jens Stoltenberg, uh, of course. Uh, he is in charge of NATO. His role ends in September. He got an extra year. He had intended to go off and become uh, the uh, uh, governor of the Swedish Central Bank, but uh, North sorry, Norwegian Central Bank. But he is uh, he is uh, kept the job for a year. He leaves in September. He's not going to renew. So who's going to get the job? Well, one person who's eyeing the job, according to Politico uh, and other sources is uh, Ben Wallace, our Defence Secretary. Now, Ben Wallace, of course, claims that he has been, or he's very proud to say that he has been the longest serving Tory Defence Ministry uh, Minister ever, Defence Secretary ever. Uh, but he wants the job, he says. But he has a problem, Patrick, he has a problem. And the problem is that NATO 
uh, or certain some elements within NATO are really looking towards a woman for the job, right? Oof. But that would be a shame if he's a victim of uh, identity politics quotas and things like that. I don't think it is a problem, Patrick. I don't think it is a problem because, of course, uh, NATO has uh, a, a gender inclusive uh, policy. Uh, and they're quite happy with trans. And of course, uh, we have what this. What are you suggesting here? Mike? I'm suggesting that Ben, if he wants a job, may have to put a dress on. But this wouldn't be a problem because uh, NATO personnel. Not a full dress, just a skirt. Just a skirt. Just a skirt. Yes. That is NATO's transgender working group. They've been doing this since 2014, folks. So NATO has been wokeified, has been getting into the trans uh, officer uh, working group business since 2014. And there's a couple of dashing. Uh, uh, admirals and uh, generals there, uh, very good-looking officers. I assure you they are uh, top of the range in terms of the, the best defense minds in the world. Don't let all of this stuff distract you, all of this, whether they're a man, whether they're a woman, what pronouns to use, that's all just static, Mike. Just think about how great they are as military planners. So maybe there's hope for Ben. But anyway, uh, now let's uh, bring a Christiane Amanpour on uh, screen. She's uh, a propagandist for CNN, and uh, she's never seen a war that she didn't love. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, well, she's been propagandizing for the new documentary on Alexei Navalny, which is called Navalny. And uh, the quote here, here on her Twitter feed is, they're torturing him physically and psychologically. He's losing weight because he's constantly underfed. He's unwell. Over Christmas, he was denied any medical care. So I just wanted to sort of highlight the sheer hypocrisy in this statement, uh, because, of course, this is exactly the type of thing that's been going on with Julian Assange for how many years now? Um, he's, uh, according to uh, the UN Special Rapporteur on torture, Nils Melzer, he's arbitrary detention since, uh, I believe, 2013? Yes. About 2012, 2013? Yes. That's, that's a while. Ten years? So Ten years. what is Ms. Amapur doing about that or what she's saying about that? Well, the difference between uh, Alexei Navalny and uh, Julian Assange is Julian Assange is an award-winning journalist. Um, he exposed U.S. war crimes uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and WikiLeaks is a, a fourth estate institution. Um, and he's being extradited for uh, all sorts of things, 175 years. Uh, by the U.S. Department of Justice. Alexei Navalny, uh, a lot of people don't realize he's being characterized as this kind of, the, they call him the opposition leader. Mm. He's not the opposition leader in Russia. He's not probably not even in the top 10. Uh, if you had to put up who are the most credible, quote, opposition to Putin, it, uh, Navalny would be lucky to crack the top 10. Okay, his political brand has been from the beginning far right far-right extremist, anti-immigrants, hates uh, people of certain religious persuasion, okay, hates uh, people emigrating from Asia, called them cockroaches. That's Alexei Navalny. But for the West, he was just a convenient uh, cudgel um, and a mascot for, you know, the, the, the opposition in Russia. It's unbelievable. It shouldn't surprise you, though, because look who we're backing in Ukraine, Nazis. Look who we're backing in Syria, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. The West always backs extremists and then tries to fashion them as some sort of, you know, moderate rebel or reformer or what, uh, freedom fighter, 
uh, etc. So, I mean, the, the Navalny story is ridiculous. And by the way, uh, he was involved in, one, in, of all the fake assassination and poisoning plots, the, the, the Avion bottle plot in Russia was about the dumbest thing anybody has ever seen, okay? And they, they, they got Germany involved in that. Der Spiegel, Der Spiegel got their hand in it. It was such a circus. What a farrago. You, you have to be kidding me, right? So all these uh, fantastic assassination plots. And this one, the, the Avion bottle, or maybe it was Volvic, I don't know. But I mean, they said, and they kept a bottle and then they, they expected it and well, it was sure the chain of custody and it was ridiculous. And, they say, and he's, he's sitting there saying, I've been poisoned by Putin for the, for the fourth time. Yep. Okay, I mean, when, is, when are people gonna sort of just bin all this? This is so ridiculous. But anyway, he's the opposition leader. Yes, okay, right, let's move on. If you like the, what the UK column, you like what we do, please uh, head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to help us out there. Uh, or you can pick something up from the UK column shop. Uh, but please do share various uh, material you find on the platforms. Uh, now, quick advertisement for an event happening tomorrow in Oxford, uh, 1 Broad Street. Uh, Peter Ford, Dan Aston Gregory, Mark Devlin, Paul Burgess, Jonathan Tilt, uh, Jasmine and other local community speakers. Uh, this is followed by a March plus networking and planning event uh, in Oxford. Uh, of course, it's uh, the usual thing of the... Um, 15-minute cities and so on uh, is one of the big uh, issues there. Uh, Keep It Cash is one of the campaigns. We're going to have more about uh, keeping it cash uh, and cash campaigns uh, a little bit later in the news. Uh, but then uh, on the 19th on Sunday, if you're in the United States in Washington, D.C. or near, uh, there is an event uh, called Rage Against the War Machine uh, taking place. And I believe you are going to be there. I'm going to be there, yeah. I will. I think I'm going to be speaking at this event. Um, so, yeah, I'll be there alongside, uh, there's a lot of great speakers, Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, Dennis Kucinich, Roger Waters, uh, Daniel McAdams from the Ron Paul Institutes, Cynthia McKinney, Gerald Salente. So it's it's a pretty uh, amazing lineup. Even Diane Sayre. Diane Sayre and Diane's, Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to taking part in this. and. Uh, and I'm really looking forward just to connecting with the American <laughs> anti-war yes. uh, movement because we feel really disconnected from them. Um, and, and it's hard to locate them as well. So I think I'm, I'm told there's going to be you know a lot of people coming to this, thousands, in fact, coming from all over the country to be there. So that's really exciting. And I think this is a great event. This has come under a lot of attacks, though. It, it has. And so uh, a, a dummy site or a bogus site has been put up uh, with the same title, uh, Rage Against the War Machine. But uh, the subhead is paid for by Russia. Uh, speakers on Putin's payroll. The, um, the upcoming Rage Against the War Machine rally is a Russian influence campaign taking place at the Lincoln Memorial on President's Day weekend. Uh, the Rage rally's goals and published aims are to undermine Western support for Ukraine defense, Ukrainian defense and to excuse Putin's invasion. Just incredible. I haven't uh, seen this type of effort uh, to, to try to uh, counter a demonstration before. Yeah, so I don't know who's behind this this particular one you're showing here. It's probably the Lincoln Project, or it could be. And there's a whole bevy of uh, organizations that would do this. But a lot of the attacks, interesting, Mike, are coming from the the left. Yes. Uh, or the so-called the the true anti-war left, or the the, the the real left, the Bernie left. I, I'm not sure 
what it is, but they're saying that uh, this can't possibly be an anti-war rally because some of the speakers support uh, the Russian position on this. And they're saying you can't be anti-war, so you, everyone has to withdraw from Ukraine and so forth. Um, and so this is the argument. And so they, they use this to gaslight, I think, part of the left and herd them into a position of uh, complete uh, you know, helplessness on this. So they won't speak up on this. The reality, Mike, is you can support Russia defending the people of the Donbass against a NATO-backed Ukraine military invasion, which was imminent. Uh, before last February, that's for sure. You can also support uh, Russia for not wanting uh, nuclear or any other uh, missiles uh, within such close striking range of Moscow, in the same way that I would support John F. Kennedy and the United States during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now Russia is in the, is in the same position that the U.S. was in in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that's not just my opinion. Uh, that's a lot of high-ranking intelligence officials right. have said that exact same thing. So it's not a case of it's not anti-war. You can be anti-war. You, you can't make demands if you're Americans that the Russians withdraw from anything. You can't. You can only make demands uh, from the West to your own governments and the policies that they enact. Okay. What Russia is going to do is, is out of your control. Okay. Sure. But if you study realist politics, Mike, and you understand what NATO expansion has done, and many have warned about it over the years, and now we're seeing it. Um, so it's not a case of strict anti-war. Pro-war, anti-war, that binary does, is not going to work very well. You get in a semantic argument, and this is what a lot of people on the left, the old left, I, I guess you could say, um, they're caught up in these semantic arguments, and they don't understand the, the, how real power politics works in the international system, and it's called realism, okay? Look at the work of John Mearsheimer, and you'll get up to speed on that. Plenty of good lectures uh, on YouTube you can watch for free. Um, okay, now uh, let's talk about censorship and control of narrative and so on. And we understand the uh, counter disinformation media development program within the Foreign Office. We understand uh, 77 Brigade and the, the, the infrastructure that's going on in the UK. Uh, UK Column's been covering that for a long time. But Haaretz here has an article uh, on well, how do we describe this operation? It's a massive operation run out of Israel. This is unbelievable. This story is so deep. And by the way, I just dipped my toe into this, Mike. Um, there, there's, a, there's about three or four other uh, annexed articles that, that shoot off of this one. Mm -hmm. this, this particular story is well packaged, as you can see, but the uh, other stories that feed into it are even more detailed. You could easily spend a week on this. This is an immense operation. Hacking, extortion, election interference, these are the tools used by Israel's agents of chaos and manipulation. So this is a, a very sophisticated array of cyber weapons, the likes of which we suspected existed, but we didn't have the proof. And like so many things, like the Twitter files or the Integrity Initiative, it just reinforced what we had suspected right. uh, previously based on what you see happening online with 77th Brigade and others. So here's the lowdown on this one. And this is very detailed, but listen, we need to show people the detail on this because you all use social media, so you need to understand what could possibly be at work behind the scenes um, when you're seeing all the troll armies and the bot armies infesting your threads on Twitter and Facebook and so forth. So let's take a look at, uh, at the basic story here. So they're calling it Team Jorge. 
or Team George. And so basically, here's the layout. Um, this is a, a firm, a shadowy firm here, and basically this is a business that offers foreign information manipulation and intervention. These are dark services that are given to the highest bidder, digital surveillance, hack and leak smear campaigns, I'll go into that um, in a little bit, um, and also uh, influence operations, disinformation, and election interference, and voter suppression. Okay, so they, they've boasted, they've done all this, they have shown receipts. Uh, the work that they've, uh, Mike, this has been validated by journalists from The Guardian, Der Spiegel, uh, Dizit, Le Monde, and other international organizations, uh, and also Haaretz, uh, they're an Israeli, this is uh, an Israeli liberal publication, Haaretz, so one of the better Israeli publications, um, uh, definitely Haaretz, in my opinion anyway. Uh, so here, it's usually attributed to states or state agencies in such countries as Russia or China. We're talking about this foreign ma uh, malign interference. It's usually attributed to Russia mm. or China. However, um, who could possibly be uh, is the two Israeli brothers, Tal and Zohar uh, Hanan, have been active for decades. They boast meddling in 33 presidential elections, 27 of them successfully Pardon me for the typo there, we missed a B. And uh, we go on, they have an array of tools at their disposal. They're talking about Tal here, who spoke, uh, I believe, to the uh, journalist. Um, or, no, he didn't speak. This is a, a Zoom call recording on a sales pitch. Okay, so they, they're using these tools and they're providing them to clients, um, transnational disinformation campaigns, forged documents, Incri fake incrimination of political adversaries, dissemination of fake reports, theft of bank documents, hacking social media, Gmail, Telegram. Mm. If you look at all the Telegram scams that are going on. A lot of it's from. It could be coming from this, yeah. uh, uh, trying to pull users into crypto scams. But the, the, the idea of the Telegram scam, Mike, is to discredit alternative media channels. Right by flooding uh, the comment sections with, with, with scams. And we wondered, because it looked automated, like AI was doing it, and we think looking at this report here and looking at the tools they have, this could likely be uh, the source of it right. here, the, the, this, this firm here. So let's look at this. Uh, Jorge claims they had, and his staff had meddled in 33 presidential level uh, campaigns around the world, 27 of them successful. Uh, even if he was exaggerating, this investigation shows that he tried to intervene in a number of elections in various countries over the past decade. This is what they accuse Russia of doing. Right. This is an Israeli firm based outside of Tel Aviv. Jorge took them on a tour of private conversations conducted by cabinet ministers of Kenya, Mozambique, in Gmail, and in Telegram. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, the instant messaging applications. Um, it was explained to the clients that Jorge this is Team Jorge, uh, had hacked and the, the, into the correspondence of prominent African personalities while providing services to uh, other clients. So this is interesting. That's just probably, give, they're giving them a little taste mm. with Africa. W what about European? What about American? Uh, it's, the tools exist. So what if Mossad is using the same tools? Would it be known? Are these just wildcats? Are these cowboys? doing freelance work uh, for or, some or governments. Or are they outsourcing to governments, exactly? Are they being outsourced work to gov from governments? There's evidence that uh, Cambridge Analytica outsourced to this firm uh, to do some dirty tricks campaigns. 
regard. This is the same Cambridge Analytica that's going to get full access to all our health records and all this kind of stuff. So all all our personal data is is, you know, that it, it becomes a huge data mining exercise, which gives these people the tools that they need to target whoever they want to target. Yeah, and just to give you an idea of how deep this goes, it can go so far as to create a fake profile with a, a complete a two-year history of a user, a woman, a, a, a supermodel, and then she sends uh, condoms in the post to a politician with Amazon using a fake credit card in her name, this fake avatar, with a, with a real Gmail account, with emails, and then that causes a political scandal, the wife divorces, that's one of the scenarios in this story. Right. So fully digital, virtual, completely spoofed, totally fake, interfering in actual lives of political leaders. Yeah. It's a total setup. So the person being targeted had done nothing, basically. Um, so this is incredible. So he also claimed responsibility for an infamous cyber attack that was intended to sabotage the referendum for Catalonian independence in 2014. Isn't that interesting? There's another one. And it's interesting how politicized that referendum yeah, was. It was. And how, who got involved in that? Wasn't that interesting? It'd be worth revisiting to see who was up in arms and uh, going crazy about that one. Okay, interesting. So on top of all this came the presentation of software. The, the software, Mike, is mind-boggling. The likes of which these journalists have never seen before. An army of avatars, fake identities, sock puppet accounts on social media, disseminating rumors, harassing people, gang stalking, uh, def defamation campaigns, or praise, or praise pumping things up, whatever the client asked for. So ha we've all seen this, haven't we, on Twitter? I've, we've seen too much of this. How much of this is from these types of, this firm or a, a similar firm or an intelligence agency that uses the same tools? The tools, let's take a look at those. So at the heart of Team Jorge's services stands the Advanced Impact Media Solutions. It's an advanced disinformation system that this, their investigation here at Haaretz um, is revealing for the first time. So the AIMS system, the software system capable of creating and deploying fake accounts uh, literally by the second, okay? Thousands of fake accounts automated uh, across social media at a scale without any detection. The AIMS was developed by Team Jorge to serve as a versatile online influence and social media manipulation tool. So let me give you a, a real world example here. Uh, this is NATO's troll army, which is allowed to operate openly on Twitter. They're called the North Atlantic Fella Organization. Now, they claim that all these bots and trolls are real people, and they even have a sign-up system, join, join NAFO. It's called NAFO, okay? And so they move on anything that's critical of Ukraine, and any threads or posts will be swarmed. Uh, you'll get your inbox uh, pounded with DMs. Um, all sorts of uh, lurid memes and really disgusting stuff they post to try to push users away from people's accounts because nobody wants to have conversations in internet threads on Twitter, for instance, that are full of semi-pornographic, -porn disgusting memes. But this is what NATO's troll army traffics in, okay? And the people linked to this are people directly linked to the intelligence, high-profile intelligence people linked to NAFO and big supporters of it, in fact. So this is the stuff that they will publish. This is interesting, Mike. NAFO will publish this, which is a guide to how Russian information warfare works on social media. 
you see this graph? And let's blow that up. Look at that. Is this not exactly what we just showed you? Yes. With Team Jorge? You see how they have the Russian flag there? Well, we're just going to do a little correction there, right? That's how NAFO works. That's how the NATO troll farm works. And are they using the same tools of Team Jorge, or have they subcontracted some of this work to a firm like this, a nefarious firm? This, this is why we're showing you this, okay? So here's their website. This is the NATO troll army, NAFO. They have the cute little fox icon. And this is the, what they, expansion is non-negotiable. So that's full NATO expansion. That's what they promote. So these are supposedly volunteers. They, they say they're a charity raising money for mercenaries, Western mercenaries to fight in Ukraine and train the Ukrainians to beat the Russians and so forth. So here it is, NAFO and the fellas, they're called. Join up and you'll be a fella. Fundraise for Ukraine's defenders. Fellas all around the world combat disinformation in social media spaces. So this is, this is what it is. This is a massive uh, sock puppet army. Some of these might be real accounts, certainly like the 77th Brigade. They're actual trolls. But they're all working for a singular purpose, which is to promote the war, to expand the war, and to keep the war going as long as possible. Yeah. And anything that interrupts that is seen as something that needs to be put down, basically. So just to go on, the profiles that look real, uh, with one click, with one click, aims the system with Team Jorge, this Israeli firm, generates a new name, uh, ethnicity, nationality, language, hometown, and a new avatar uh, based on the campaign's location and needs. After picking the name, Ames then offers an entire set of photos for use to fill out your profile, okay? So uh, this is T Talal uh, Hanan, the, one of the brothers, created a new avatar for us, a woman from the United Kingdom. Um, he did not like the generic British name his system initially provided, so he hit a button and generated a new name, Sophia Wilde. I like the name, he said. Uh, her photos, this investigation found, belonged to a real woman, however, uh, who had no idea her likeness was being used uh, to uh, demonstrate influence operations. This is how, you remember the fake doctors on COVID? Right. The fake doctors that were pushing out all the COVID propaganda? This is exactly it. They used a real person's photo, had a whole backstory populated on social media, was interacting with people on a regular basis, pushing out propaganda. Mm. Was it, was this were they subcontracted by governments to run pro-vaccine and pro-lockdown influence operations on Twitter? That's a question worth asking here. And to go on here, um, the, the, he did not like the, the name, so Sophia Wilde, we went over that before. So again, that's back to you, Mike. Right. Okay. Well, that, that is, uh, you know, the, that is a, a, an incredible story that Haaretz has broken. It fits with what we know the British government's doing. Uh, and uh, on a national basis, uh, and we've got private players as well. But don't we often accuse our opposition of what we're doing ourselves? Yeah, and has anybody from our government ever uh, pulled Israel up on, on any of this? Because if this firm was in St. Petersburg, like the Internet Research Agency, is that what they were called, right? The I, was it Internet, I-R-A? The IRA yes. in St. Petersburg, and supposedly they meddled and uh, somehow interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Nobody knows quite how they did it. They just the claim is that they did. And here we have this Israeli firm with completely advanced weaponized tools that reflect exactly what everybody sees 
mm. on social media. It's incredible. When is the pressure going to come on Israel uh, to sort of give these guys up? And, uh, you know, is this illegal? It certainly looks like it. What else are they involved in besides this? Who knows? Good question. Good question. Right. Okay, let's uh, move on to uh, central bank digital currencies then. And, uh, well, the latest news is that the Bank of Japan has decided to move ahead with its pilot. Uh, so another central bank uh, coming onto, into the fold. Uh, as far as how to proceed with the pilot program, they say we will launch the experiments with narrowed objectives, gradually expanding the scope of our uh, experiments in a phased and planned manner. At present, we do not assume any actual transactions to take place amongst retailers and consumers. Only simulated transactions will be settled in the test environment. We'll continue to, to communicate externally with high transparency and sharing topics, including the specifics of the pilot program and updates on progress made. Uh, if a CDBC, CBDC were to be issued in the future, exploring its framework in such a phased manner and engaging in highly transparent communications with the private sector are necessary steps to take for adoption in society. Now, uh, again, you'll see the language if a CBDC were to be issued in the future. And we saw that with uh, the, the Bank of England when they announced their uh, latest developments uh, a few days ago, which we covered. It was if we're considering it, maybe it's going to happen. This is coming. Uh, and it's unstoppable at this point unless people start becoming active. Um, so I just want to highlight a couple of campaigns here. First of all, from the organizers of the, the Light newspaper, uh, cashisfreedom.uk is a new website, a new campaign. All your spending monitored forever is what they say. Say no to central bank digital currency, no savings, no privacy, no freedom. Cash is safe, easy and private. So you might want to go and have a look at that particular campaign. Here's another one. Um, this is uh, safe privacy, stop CBDCs. Uh, and they're making the point that every personal transaction will be recorded in a central ledger, that taxes uh, could be changed drastically and immediately. Uh, a successful hack could cripple the financial system. And they're making the point that uh, reduced regulatory oversight and independent tax analysis is the outcome of this. And that is from uh, the UK Tax Reform Council. So two campaigns uh, launched on this on top of uh, a number of others. Uh, the point that uh, the, the guys from the light are making is that we've got to get ahead of this particular policy agenda and uh, deal with it before it ever gets close to actual implementation. Um, and I think that's a very fair point. Yeah, it is. And the whole point about CBDCs, Mike, is that <clears throat> they're programmable currencies. They can be shut off. They can put restrictions on the money. So it's not money. It's it's a voucher. It's that's a, right. It's a token. It's not money. So that's that's the core of the deception. One hundred percent. Now, uh, well, good news, Patrick. Bill Gates uh, was in the country uh, at Imperial College uh, on Wednesday afternoon, and uh, well, he met Rishi Sunak uh, and various other people at Imperial, and this was all about uh, the Green New Deal and what they're calling clean tech. Uh, all about clean tech innovation, which they want to supercharge. Uh, so they've launched uh, a new campaign or a new uh, conglomerate. Uh, this is uh, Clean Tech for UK. It's a coalition of leading clean tech entrepreneurs and investors committed to working together to supercharge the UK's green economy. Let's have a look and see what uh, Billy Goats had to say. Uh, the UK has all the ingredients to become a major player in the global push to build a net zero emissions future including world-class research facilities and forward-looking investors. That's brilliant. I'm really enthused by that. And that's going to lower the temperature of the planet, right? 
So they say. That's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. So here is the website for Clean Tech for UK. It's building the next generation of clean tech champions. Uh, the UK is home to a mature clean tech ecosystem, a thriving innovation scene, and strong overall investment. Brilliant. What exactly is clean tech, by the clean way? Clean tech. Well, you get an idea from the from the icon above that uh, quote here. It's it's windmills and the like. Uh, so things that don't emit, it's, emit carbon. Yes, yes, it's yes. Clean tech for UK is a new initiative to establish a dialogue between the UK's policy making community. Could you define that for me, Patrick? What is the UK's policy making community? Because most people assume uh, wrongly, I'll admit, but they do assume that the UK's public policy making committee is within the, pol the realms of politics and the civil service. It's it, whereas in fact that implies something much broader. Uh, and of course, the reality is that it's, it is much broader. It's the like of Bill Gates. It's setting UK policy in many areas. Uh, yeah, but that's yeah, it's the wrong kind of broad actually. But um, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, no, when they say that UK's policy making community, Mike, isn't doesn't that sound like a nice way to say stakeholders? Doesn't it feel like that? Yes, yes. You're getting indeed. the stakeholder vibe, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I am, and and the people have no say in any of these policies, and that's the whole point. They're couching it in this inclusive language, but at the end of the day, you don't have a choice. You just get, it just gets imposed on you, whether it's CBDCs, 15-minute cities, green this, green that. And by the way, it's going to be a long time, and it'll probably, Mike, um, I hate to say this, and excuse the religious under overtones, it's going to be a cold day in hell uh, before green energy is going to be uh, charging up your Teslas and your EVs. It's coal. It's going to be you know natural gas, coal, nuclear. It's not wind and solar, folks. It's not going not going to happen, and not going to happen for a really really long time. So the whole green energy is a crock. It, as it stands today, it might be legitimately green in the future, mm. in 100 or 200 years, or when free energy comes online or some new technology, Tesla technology. But right now, it's not green, folks. It's a crock. It's complete marketing. It's a scam. Yeah, indeed. So let's go to the South China Morning Post then. Well, we have to throw some ESG stories in here, Mike. And this is very important. We've got to talk about ESGs um, because ESGs, is the tool um, in which they're wanting to create a full command and control economy globally and then force people onto these new standards. They're called ESGs, environmental, sustainable, and governance, I guess. I'm not sure what even what it means anymore. Uh, but climate and sustainability, how Im impending EU laws on ESG disclosures will be a matter of survival for Asian suppliers. Now, this is out of Hong Kong. So, the, so the, the EU is going to be requiring any import companies from Hong Kong, probably maybe China too. It depends on the negotiations on this. But if you're not up to scratch on your reporting on ESGs, in other words, if you haven't ticked all the boxes, the bureaucracy on this is unbelievable. You've never seen anything like it. It's creating a whole new class of bureaucrats to add to the carbon offset, carbon emission bureaucracy. And what is this going to do? We'll show you what it's going to do in a second here. But there is no escape, they say, from the impending European rules requirements on sustainability reporting. So if you're in the business of doing this type of uh, dodgy accounting, Mike, it's great. This is great news. If you're a carbon offset accountancy firm or a compliance officer or whatever, there's a whole new class of bureaucrats here. So the Brussels-based firm called Amphori provides 
digital tools and training for suppliers to do self-assessments on ESG performance and compare themselves with industry benchmarks based on international standards. Do you think China is going to be complying to the letter on self-reporting on ESGs, Mike? No. You're going to have to, what, hire a whole police for, international police force to go and do inspections? ESG inspectors, are they going to be let onto the uh, to the to the factory inside the factory? I don't know. Don't think so. I kind of don't think so. So is this just pie in the sky? So here we go again. Climate change. Hong Kong to pay thirty percent more uh, for ESG jobs as companies fight for talent to meet sustainability targets. So Hong Kong uh, industry here, they're saying that they're going to go for this. They need to comply. They want it access to the European market. But what's this going to mean? This is going to mean more inflation. Mm. This is going to drive the price up. Anybody who doesn't think that this isn't going to drive prices up for all goods and services um, in the short term, medium and long term, you're woefully naive, I'm afraid. Okay, It's all about inflationary uh, pressure on this. And as a result, that's causing pain uh, for average people. Uh, that's going to continue to cause pain for average people. And uh, so people are becoming a bit uh, uppity and uh, well more strike action uh, today border force uh, on strike today and over the weekend of course they've timed this for people returning from the half-term holidays mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so the, the port of calais port of dunkirk uh, channel tunnel port of dover uh, having problems but also uh, at airports as well as far as i know uh, there is also an ambulance strike taking place today in west midlands and in northern ireland uh, it's not a national strike this time, just those two regions. Okay. Um, so that continues. They not, better wages? They are after better wages, of course. Uh, so that's related to the inflation issue. But they're also uh, uh, most of these organizations coming, having pressure put on terms and conditions of employment, uh, new contracts in the offing as well, uh, especially uh, with the postal workers, for example, who have just uh, voted uh, to extend their strike for another six, their strikes for another six months, uh, and they had what did they have? I think it was something like high seventy percent turnout in terms of the vote, and a, a ninety eight percent in support of strike action. So that continues. Now uh, let's move on just finally uh, to a little bit of COVID um, news, and uh, I just wanted to remind everybody. We've seen this video many times, but let's just remember what Anthony Fauci, Fauci said. I believe this was two thousand and four. Uh, That's about right. I, th I think yeah. so about uh, about immunity and vaccines. Sorry, Stephanie, if we could play the Fudgy video. Uh, but she's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. So we all remember what he said. That's what he said. He changed his tune later on. But uh, and lots of people, Reuters and so on, fact checkers saying that there was no inconsistency in his past and future mm -hmm. opinions. But anyway, I just wanted to very briefly mention this uh, this uh, article in The Lancet. Uh, past SARS-2, SARS-CoV-2 infection protection against reinfection, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And they're basically saying uh, that indeed, when you review the various scientific literature, out there uh, getting infection is indeed at least as, effect, as effective as, as any uh, so-called vaccine. Um, so I'm not making any comment other than the fact that this is uh, 
uh, a paper published in the Lancet saying it's basically backing up what Fauci said so many years. I mean, who would have known? Yeah, yeah. So the vaccines don't work, and they're useless. Wow. There we go. So who knew? <laughs> who knew that was possible? What a blindsided surprise that was. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's finish then with a couple of uh, final slides, Patrick. Uh, yeah, I thought this was funny, Mike, uh, here, I was going to say this for extra. Russia's approved the sale of IKEA factories. So uh, IKEA, in their fit of um, virtue signaling for Zelensky and Slava Ukraini, uh, they, they pulled out of their 10th biggest market in the world, which was Russia. Um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that they're out. So um, they've lost in the last 12 months, I guess, 1.8 billion or 4% of the company's total retail sales. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're going to, they have to give up all their sites. So Russia's going to take over, listen to this, Russia's going to take over Ikea's factories and they're going to start doing their own knockoff Ikea. Ikea. So this is brilliant. So, I mean, uh, go woke, go broke, as they say. But I think, Mike, if you think about it, I think Ikea could not have, they had to have solidarity with Ukraine because of the team colors. Yes. That's probably it. It's because of the blue and gold. Had to be. Yes. Now, in extra, we may talk a little bit about balloons, but uh, one particular skit uh, had put broad smile on the face. So just let's have a brief look at this. So Chinese balloons, unfortunately, being fired uh, at at. Mr. Biden. Helping Biden fall uphill. Indeed. So, yeah. Right, we shall leave it there for today. Thank you very much, Patrick, for joining us. Thank you for joining us. If you're a UK call member and you're on the uh, members live stream, we'll be back in a couple of minutes for uh, some extra. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you on Monday at 1 p.m. as usual. Brian will be back next week. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Bye bye.